Let's pray briefly, and we'll uh, we'll jump in here. Uh, Father, uh, Father's Day, you're the ultimate Father, and we look to you for life and joy and peace, and just ask that uh, my words and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your eyes, and that Lord, you be at work to help us to see more fully what a great, loving, kind Father you are. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, one of the flights Kathy and I were on uh, a couple weeks ago, sat next to a gentleman, came to find out he's a brother in Christ, and we're talking about one thing and another. We come from churches that were very similar in some ways, and one of them uh, was the desire of the leadership in the church to, uh, to call men up to fill their glorious God-given roles. And uh, you know what, Kevin, I'm just going to use this other mic, okay? I'm free. Uh, he said, uh, he said uh, one of the, the downsides of that was, uh, he said the exhortation or encouragement to men to uh, man up had become a hammer. He said, you know, it's really sort of become discouraging. I said, well, you know, you need to, you need to go talk to your pastor, brother. He's not going to know that that exhortation or encouragement has turned into a hammer unless you tell him. And a good guy, a good brother, all, all good attitude, you know, all great. But it put me in mind of something that I'd read related to Father's Day coming up, and it was this. It said that on Mother's Day we praise and thank God for mothers. And on Father's Day... We reprove and cajole and exhort dads. And I thought, you know, I think that's true. And I think that's what I've done in the past. And so this morning I'm trying to break that mold and not do that to dads. I do hope to do a few things and I will try and be as brief as I can. And that might be like the kids that were up here earlier too. It's good A for effort, maybe follow through a little little less so. But I'd like to do three things. First is praise God and really focus, if we don't take anything else away, knowing what kind of a father God our Father is to us is just incalculably valuable. And if we don't know that, we cannot grow as his children as we can and should. To to focus on God as the best of all fathers. Also to encourage fathers and children among us, not upbraid and not criticize. And the last, perhaps most fully, I want to frame, say it this way, a sympathetic view of fathers, a big picture that allows us to see how God works redemptively in and through our human fathers. This will be a little, little bit different this morning. By the way, too, anytime you come to holidays or Mother's Day or Father's Day, there will be some in our midst, and you would say to yourself, I did not have a good father. Father's Day is a, is a pain to me. It's, it's not a happy thing. Or you may be fathering today, and the thought of celebrating Father's Day, if you feel like a failure as a father... Maybe painful, not encouraging also. And to either one of those viewpoints or anything in between, I would say this. If we come away seeing something afresh about God as Father, 
then we'll go away okay. Whether that's the exhortation that God's very model of fathering sets for us as a father, or if that's just the knowledge that I have in God the Father, this kind of loving person, loves me, oversees my life, uses all things for my good, that's good too. But we can embrace Father's Day in a way that's all upside. It doesn't have to be painful no matter what kind of background we're looking at. And let me say this too. We sometimes talk about uh, we are all God's children, meaning everyone born on the planet is God's child. And there's a general sense in which that's true. Uh, We all bear the image of God. We're all from our first father, Adam. In that sense, we're all God's children. But in the most important of ways... For God to be our spiritual heavenly Father in the way the New Testament and Jesus specifically refers to Him, we have to have a new birth. We have to be born again. We have to come to acknowledge that we're not who and what our heavenly Father meant us to be. And that's called sin. And that's an issue for a holy God. And that it's only through faith in His only begotten Son, Jesus, that those sins are atoned for. They're covered and we're adopted and we're born again into the family of God. And then the things that I'm starting with this morning are true of us. Those things about God, the Heavenly Father, are then true of Him specifically to us as His children. But I just want to be careful to say, if you have not embraced Jesus as your Savior, these things I'm starting with are not true for you. And I would invite you to accept the forgiveness God the Father offers you in His Son, Jesus, and become His son or His daughter through faith in Christ today. So first, God is the best and He's the first Father. Ephesians three fourteen through 15, uh, Paul says this, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. In the Greek here, Father is the masculine patera, pater, patera. In the Greek, family is the feminine patria. It's the same word in its masculine and feminine form. And Paul says that every family on earth derives its point of origin, its genesis, from God the Father. It's God the Father that establishes the fatherhood, if you will, that's common on earth and every family that springs or is connected to a father. Fatherhood is God's idea, and the whole thing goes back to Him. Some ways we consider the Trinity as the model of family, right? There's this plurality of people, father, mother, child, and there's this loving relationship between the singular family, and that's true of the Trinity. But singularly, fatherhood And the origin of the family in general goes back to God the Father, Paul says here. Now, we're familiar with the term father, but the root for father is pa, and it means literally a nourisher, a protector, one who upholds. And so not only do we see that in God the Father we have the point of origin for our fatherhood and for our families, but that not only do fathers originate children with the mother, but that fathers are called to be this nourishing, upholding, strengthening influence in the lives of their children. And that's what God the Father is to us, preeminently. We gain our new birth through Him, and then He upholds us, He nourishes us, He comforts us, He strengthens us over time. Now I'm going to go quickly through a list of 
traits that are true of God our Heavenly Father and His disposition and His attitude toward us. I've got seven. You would have seven more. We could just keep going on this. These are things that are true of God. You can pick your own. The first is this, and it's the most important, that God is loving, and we have a Father that really, really loves us. Uh, We got an email a week ago from a young gal that used to come to Lion and Lamb, and she's living in another part of the country, and, and she is just spiritually thriving and growing. And she's still a new believer. But she said that she was reading through a book that focuses on our identity in Christ, that God loves us because he chose to set his love on us, not because of anything we do or are in ourselves. And she found that thought initially abhorrent. She wanted to be loved for her, but she didn't realize that if God loves me because of the kind of person I am in any given moment, what does that mean when I fail? Does God love me less? Do I disappoint my father? And then somehow I lose his love. And and it was a breakthrough for her to come to understand God loves me because he chooses to, because I'm his child. And having laid hold of that even a little bit, it changed everything for her. And if we don't know anything else, if we simply know that God, our Heavenly Father, loves us, can never love us less, can't love us more, loves us fully all the time, that will change your life. And if we get nothing else on Father's Day but God our Father loves us, that'll take you down the road. That'll get you home. John 3.35 says this, The Father loves the Son. Because of that love, He's given all things into His hand. John 5.20 says the Father loves the Son and therefore shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. The Father loves the Son. Now those verses are written about God the Father to Jesus. But that is the relationship you and I are brought into through rebirth. The Father loves the Son. The Father loves His children. And that same love that God the Father has for Jesus, the only begotten, that's the relationship we're invited into. So that same love the Father has for the Son is the love God our Father has for us. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. John 16, 27, Jesus was talking about prayer in his absence after he went back to heaven. He said, guys, it's not even that I need to intercede for you, though he does. Scripture tells us Jesus prays for us. That's comforting. But he said, you need to know When you pray, you can be confident God hears and will answer. Why? Because the Father himself loves you. My Father loves you. I can intercede for you and I will. But when you pray, you need to know your Father hears you. Why? Because he loves you. 1 John 3, 1, John says again, See how great a love the Father has for us that we should be called the children of God. God doesn't hold us back. He's not cold towards us. John says, see how great his love is. He has made us his children. It says of Jesus in Hebrews, he's not ashamed to call us brothers or sisters. Well, our father's not ashamed to call us his, his own children. He loves us. That's how great his love is. Another appendix to that thought is Romans 8, 38 and 39. There is nothing that can separate the child of God from the love of our Father. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. That's comforting. That'll take us home. Uh, God, second, uh, God rewards us. 
you know, if, if uh, we obey God our Father, that's a good thing and we should do that. Period. But I love the fact that the Father rewards us when we do the things we should do. So in Matthew 6, verses 4 and 6, two times Jesus says this, Don't worry about impressing others. In prayer, in fasting, religious exercises, we might say today, spiritual disciplines. Jesus says, no, when you pray, do it in secret. Because your Father will know and He will reward you. For what? For praying. Well, we should pray. Yeah. But your dad will reward you anyway. Or when you fast or when you give. Jesus, don't worry about impressing others. You do that for your Father. And it's what we should do. But your Father will reward you for those acts of faithfulness anyway. He rewards. He's not small-hearted, small-minded towards us. He loves to reward us. Third point, He gives gladly. Sometimes we think of God the Father as stingy. He doesn't want me to do this. He doesn't want me to go there. He doesn't want me to have these kinds of friends or do these things at this stage in my life. But the truth is... God the Father is a cheerful, glad, generous giver. I love that. Not stingy, not small-minded, open-handed and generous. I'll just focus on, I'm going to cut myself short wherever I can, guys, just for time's sake. Luke 12, 32, favorite passage of mine in Luke. Jesus says there, don't be afraid, little flock. That little flock, those are his disciples. Don't be afraid little insignificant flock over here. Why? Well, because it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the whole kingdom. And he says, because of that, you can be open-handed and generous towards others. Because your Father's going to give you the whole banana. The whole thing is yours. You can afford to be generous because your Father is generous to you. He doesn't give you a little thing. He gives you the whole kingdom. God values us, Matthew 10, 29 through 31. In the day of ecology and green-mindedness, this is a great verse. Jesus says, the sparrow was the most common and the smallest of the birds they knew when he says this to them. Jesus says to his disciples that when the smallest, most common of birds falls to the ground, your Father in heaven knows about it. He has this caring, compassionate knowledge about even the smallest, most common of birds. And he says, if that's true of that little, relatively insignificant life form on earth, you need to know he cares much, much more for you. You are more valuable than that sparrow that falls to the ground. God knows and he cares. You're valued by your father. Uh, God reveals his mind to us and by the way, related to our fathering, this is one of the best things we can do as fathers, is just share with our children what we think and what we value. To share our mind with them, our thoughts with them. You know, it's only the people that know us best that know really what we value, what we think about a thing. Maybe unless you're as opinionated as I am, and then everyone knows. But generally, it's only those who know you best that know what you really like, what is peculiar to you. Well, God lets us know what he's like and what he values. Matthew eleven twenty five, Jesus said, God hides his ways from the proud, but he reveals them to the spiritually humble, and he delights to do so. The Father delights to show us what he's doing. Matthew sixteen seventeen, 
when Peter told Jesus, I know who you are, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the anointed, promised, sent one from God, Jesus says, it wasn't flesh and blood, it wasn't another human being that made that known to you, it was my Father in heaven. Guys, you know, most of the place and most of the means by which the Father lets us know what He thinks and what He values, of course, it's, it's between the covers of our Bible. So if we want to know what's important to Dad, we read our Bibles, we meditate on it, we see what He says to us in the pages of our Bible. He's merciful and comforting, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.3. He's the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. If you need mercy or comfort, God the Father is the place to get it. And last, he's gracious. Anytime I open one of the epistles of Paul, I try and hit on this because it's so important. Every one of those epistles starts with grace to you and peace from God the Father. Grace to you, favor. We live and move and have our being in the grace and favor of our Father. That's true of us all the time. So, no matter what our experience with our own Father has been or is currently, no matter where we fail as fathers today, if we look to God our Father, at His love for us, His grace, His comfort, His favor, His glad care, we have something to rejoice in and certainly something to aspire to. Now, I want to sort of start framing our own fatherhood in a big picture. And along that line, the first point to make is this. We tend to be like our father. We tend to be like our father. If I say that to you, depending on your opinion of your father, that's a good thing or that's less than a good thing. But we tend to be like our father. And I think coming to grips with this, takes our fathers off the hook a little bit, I think appropriately so. And it gives us as children to our fathers a perspective that's helpful in seeing them in the God-given role they occupy in our life. Genesis 5 is a genealogy. And Genesis is threaded with these genealogies because God wants us to know, I made a promise, I'd send a Savior, and these are the links in the chain so that you'll know the Savior I promised is coming. And these genealogies are those links, father to son, to son, to son, to son. So in Genesis 5.1, in the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. In Genesis 1 and 2, the creation accounts, it's quite clear that God says we're going to make man in our image. He's going to bear our likeness. That's Genesis 5.1. Adam bears the image and likeness of God. But when you get to Genesis 5.3, the language changes slightly, and it's important. And there it says, when Adam lived, and he'd become a certain age, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image. And you need to understand that there's a digression here. There's one step of separation, if you will, from the original, pristine image of God. Adam's sons look like Adam. Now, it's true that Adam is made in God's image, and so are we all today as his heirs. But through Adam's fall, the image of God is marred. We're not who and what we should be. So when it says of the fallen Adam that he had a son, it says the son is after his own likeness and his, if you will, fallen image. Now, whether you think of God reproducing Adam after his likeness or Adam having sons, children, after his fallen image, we need to understand this. 
we reproduce who and what we are. You cannot get away from this. And if we come to grips with this, we can give our fathers and our mothers, our parents, some slack. When we see defects in our own life, the sin that we got from them, that's what they got there from their parents, and it goes all the way back to Adam. We are the children of our father and our mother, our parents, and we look like them. And sometimes that's a discouraging thought, and other times it's an encouraging thought, depending on what aspect of our parentage we're seeing at the time. My older brother, Joseph, who's a, a character par excellence, a uh, little older than me, eight years or so, showing that age just a little bit more than the wrinkles in my face here, but his sons were present in the room with us one time, and, and he has this fiendish grin on his face as he points to his own face and the wrinkles, the, the effects of age on his face, and he says one word to his sons, inevitability. This face, that's your face. This what you see in me, that's what you, is coming for you. You're my sons and, and you're going to look like me. And you can't escape that. Inevitability. Well, that's true for all of us. We are made in the image of our Father. And that sort of cuts things both ways. For me, this makes me more sympathetic towards parents. We reproduce what we are. We don't reproduce saints. We reproduce sinners. There's a thought, I think, that's pretty typical right now, and it's that somehow in this day and age, we arrive on the scene, our life, we arrive on the scene as these autonomous beings with no connection to the past and no necessary connection to the future. We're sort of independent. We make up our own minds. We judge everything as we see fit. But that's a lie. That's absolutely not true. We're the product of the people we've come from. We stand in the line of those who bore us. You can't get away from this. Well, if I understand that and understand that there are also forces on the life of my parent that shape them, I can be sympathetic to what I see as faults in my parents. When my brother John, older brother, uh, told us this, he was uh, sort of shocked and chagrined. Uh, He'd grown up living on his own, and he said he realized one day that he was lining chocolate chips up on a plate, and then he was taking dabs of peanut butter and singularly putting it on one chocolate chip at a time and eating the chocolate chip with the peanut butter and enjoying every savory bite until he realized that that's exactly the way our dad had eaten chocolate chips and peanut butter, and he was not thinking very highly of my dad at the time. It's like, I'm just like my dad. Oh, no. You know, oh, no, woe is me. Uh, I've had times in my own life, seriously, walked in the bathroom, looked in the mirror and thought, I'm just like my dad. You know, oh, no. You know, thinking of the downsides. It was that very thought, though, that led me to a scripture that absolutely changed my outlook on the fact that we are our father's child, and that we can see that in an entirely good way, and it's this. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, Paul's talking about resurrection life, and what will that look like, and what will that not look like? 
And one of the summary key points he says is this. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, our natural parent, back to the first Adam, that is our fallen nature, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. As surely, as necessarily as we bear the image of our earthly father, we must, can't be otherwise, For those who are born again in Christ, we shall ultimately one day gloriously, fully bear the image of our heavenly Father. So that that changes everything. So now, if I think of things that are positive attributes in my life that I saw in my own father, my human father, I'm thankful. That's something I got from my dad that I'm thankful for. Great. But when I see something that I consider a negative, it's this verse that comes to mind. And because I have a new birth, a new life in Christ, I know that one day, as surely as I must have borne the image of Vincent Halpin, I will fully bear the image of God, my Heavenly Father. It can't be otherwise. I'm His child. So if you look at your own father and lament the ways you're like him, turn that around. Because if God, your heavenly father, is your heavenly father, you're going to fully bear his image, gloriously so in the future. And what otherwise seems like a negative can be the reminder to you, oh no, I'm going to be just like my heavenly father. It'll be grand. It'll be great. Uh, We also, taking ourselves and our parents off the hook just a little bit, we need to understand that we're shaped by our world. We are shaped by our world, and our parents were shaped by their world. Uh, My father's mother died when he was nine years old. And uh, he, even at that tender age, he had memories of his mother that were less than pleasant. And the loss of his mother and being raised by a grandmother and an aunt who then became a stepmother with a father who was gone most of the time at business, that shaped my father significantly. And you could say it dented the contours of his character and his personality and his view of life. It affected him. It it couldn't do otherwise. Changed him. My dad was a navigator on an American bomber in World War II. And his plane was shot down over Germany. And my father with the rest of the crew of this plane, they all parachuted, they all survived this event. My father's plan was to hit the ground and run and try to escape. And uh, he woke up three days later. He had a concussion on landing and he woke up in a hospital. And that was his introduction to a year and a half as a POW in a German camp. And he wasn't released till the Russian army came at the end of the war and liberated their camp. Now when my dad went into that camp, He was my height and uh, a slimmer version of me by about 20 pounds. Uh, So at about 200 pounds he went in. When he came out he was less than 140 pounds. So a year and a half as a POW, it shaped my father's life. It shaped how he saw things. It shaped tons of things that influenced the way he was a father for us later.
there were uh, occasions, you know, we were, I was one of 11 kids, so just providing for our family was a big deal to my dad. And, and uh, I can't tell you how many times, sitting around the table, turning my nose up at almost always, not always, but almost always, one of the vegetables my mother had chosen to serve. And what is the deal with Brussels sprouts anyway? What good thing can be said of Brussels sprouts, whether you're a kid or an adult? I can't get there. But turning my nose up at something on my plate, well, my dad would look at me. He'd get this eagle hard look on his face and he would say, I hope someday you're so hungry that you'll eat whatever served and be thankful. Because he'd been affected by the pressures, by what he had experienced in life. So we need to understand that we are the product not only of the physical genetic DNA stuff that we get from our parents, from our father. But we're also affected by the forces that shaped their lives. Those same forces shaped our lives too. We're the product not only of the physical, but of the forces that shaped their lives. We used to tell our girls when they were critiquing some version of our parenting, nicely I'm sure, uh, we'd say, Girls, uh, this is the first time we've been parents. And we're doing the best job we know how to. And then bluntly we'd say, our parents did the best job they knew how to. And they made mistakes, and that's our problem, and we've got to deal with it. We're doing our best, we'll make mistakes, and that's your problem. And you'll have to deal with that. So get over it. So we are our father's children. We are. And we're also, our lives are influenced by the pressures and the experiences that shaped and formed their lives. That helps me have a sympathetic view towards my parents. And also for us as parents, just to realize big picture, life's big and we're influenced by all of this. Uh, Also, we need to realize that we all have feet of clay. I'm convinced, especially in this age and time, We have unreasonable, unbiblical demands or expectations of our parents and of our own parenting. I think on one hand as a church, we tell fathers, come up to the high call we have in Christ as husbands and as fathers, as men of stature and character in Christ. And that's good. We should. But at the same time, gentlemen, we all have feet of clay. And there's no way around this. James 3, 2 says, and it's speaking about the use of our words, it says we all sin in many ways. Now, that's not just true of the use of our words. Folks, that's a general truism. We all sin, and we sin in many ways. And when I say this, I'm not excusing sin. And we want to put sin behind, and we want to move on, and yes, and yes, and yes, and I'm all for that. But we sin, and we're going to sin. And we need to understand that we have feet of clay. I do as a father, as a parent. And my father did. And we're going to. And that's sort of part of the parameter of what we work within. Uh, My father, when I was growing up, my father was an alcoholic. And I didn't know that. My father drank all the time. My father owned a beer distributorship. We grew up clapping at the beer commercials on TV. Hams, particularly, the land of sky blue waters. 
and the bears, if you're old enough, you remember these. Uh, we thought that was great. Beer was part of life. My dad had a can of beer in his hand, all the early memories I have of him. Now, I didn't know when my dad was going to the hospital when I was a kid. I didn't know that that was for alcohol-related issues. My dad was never, that I saw, drunk. He was never mad because he was drinking. Do you know what I mean? He, was never, he never appeared intoxicated. He just drank all the time. So it was only later that my mother told me, uh, Dr. Kavanaugh said to Dad, Vincent, if you come back to the hospital again, you will not go home. Uh, his, his beer was killing him, which I had no idea. I was, bliss, I was oblivious. Uh, my dad uh, smoked. Cigarettes, like that whole generation, you know, the, the whole, the greatest generation, you know. Uh, smoked cigarettes, you know, and at the time that was just normal. You know, in fact, when I think of my father, this may sound bad and I don't mean it to, you know, Isaac, when he's blind in his old age, he thinks of Esau, and it's the smell of Esau. It's the smell of the field, and it's the feel of his, his coarse hair. Well, my early memories of my dad, they're sensual in that. It's the smell of my dad's sweat as he worked in his unair conditioned office. And it's the smell and the appearance of cigarette smoke and the smell of beer. That's, that's the early memories of my dad. And, and I sort of still savor that because it connects me emotionally to my father. So my dad had challenges. and This, this is sin. Alcoholism is not a good thing. The scripture is clear on this. We, nothing should take over our life like that. And, and my dad suffered emphysema because of his smoking. Now, to his credit, I'm using my dad as an example. Feet of clay, we've all got them. These were some of his elements of clay in his life. But you know, when challenged with that alcoholism, my dad quit drinking. He joined AA, and he would tell you, uh, AA saved my life. AA and the church, faith, saved my life. I would have killed myself through alcohol. And to the end of his life, when he was offered a drink in a restaurant, he would say, thank you, but I'm a recovering alcoholic. And my dad quit smoking cigarettes. You know, he weaned, it's hard, I've never done that, but nicotine's extremely addictive, it's very hard to quit. And he, he, he took time, but he weaned himself through pipe use and cigars till he got off that entirely. He had emphysema all of his later years, you know, the gift of cigarette smoking. But he got off of that. And, and I love the fact that on one hand, I get that my dad was human and feet of clay, but I love the fact that also that he took things in matter when he could and he turned and he left those things behind for the sake of his family. Great example. My dad had other sins in his life, some obvious and some not so obvious, and that's certainly true of us all. In dad's later years, there was a particular area of sin that had compromised his ability to do things that were in his own best interest. And this was, a, for him, a secret sin which I was fully aware of. And I knew at some point, for Dad's sake, I need to bring this up. I need to talk to him about this. And so I'd prayed about it. Kathy would prayed about it. And one day it's just Dad and me at home, and we're talking. And I just said, matter-of-factly, Dad, uh, is this issue in your life, is this keeping you from moving on? And, and he acted like this was something we talked about repeatedly. No shock, no surprise whatsoever that I've broached this. And he just says, well, of course. And I said, well, can I help you with that? Would, you know, would it be okay if I helped you in that so you could move on? And I'd be delighted. If you knew my dad, he loved words and he loved the way, you know, speaking in a certain way, manner. I'd be delighted. 
So, so we helped dad take care of that and he was free to move on. And it was great, you know, that, that, but we're all bringing feet of clay. Our fathers have feet of clay. We have feet of clay, every one of us. We need to take that into account. Let me close uh, quickly with this. Uh, one of my favorite uh, memories of uh, childhood has become a memory that at, at the time, a habit that I hated, I detested. And kids, I'd say to you, you may, you may hate or even despise things your parents do now or that they require of you or whatever. And you may find, maybe, that later in life you say, wow, that, I hated it then, but love it now. And this is one of those things for me. Uh, so I'm one of 11. I'm right in the middle. And so when I'm a little kid and we're driving downtown, we're going to pile out of the VW van or the Ford station wagon. My dad stops before any of the doors are open. He says, children... How do we go? The correct response, which we say in unison, is together. Dad, we go together. Pile out of the car. What do we do? You line up. And you hold the hands of the siblings next to you, the siblings closest to your parents holding the parents' hands. And then you walk down the street. When you get to the corner, you don't cross the street. You stop. My father, with exaggerated care, looks this way. And he looks that way. And he looks this way. He says, children, is it safe to cross the street? Yes, Dad, it's safe to cross the street. Across we go. So you can imagine, if you're a little kid, this is just crowd control, isn't it? You're just keeping everybody together. You're making sure everybody gets there. I, I get that. As I grew a little older, I started hating this. I got to hold my brother's hand. Worse, I got to hold my sister's hand. We're approaching the intersection. Dad, I know how to cross the street. But what do we do? Nope, got to stop. Got to look, you know, this way, that way. Is it safe to go? Yes, Dad, it's safe to go. You know, children, how do we go? We go together. Well, see, I'm loving that today. Because that'll take you home. See, this was not only crowd control. This is a way of life. I love the verse in Genesis uh, 18, 19. God said this of Abraham. I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. You know, what do we do as dads to shape and care for those eternal souls that have been placed under our care? We take them with us. You know, we go together. We share our life with them. And I love this. Kathy and I felt like parenting was our opportunity for a second childhood. So we get to read the books we loved as kids another time with our kids. But you know, as dads, we're inviting our children into our life. And we're sharing with them the things we love. We want them to love the things we love. So dads, if you love to hunt and fish, man, your kids ought to be with you. I took my daughter Jessica on a hunting trip, right? You know, out with dad. Now, on one hand, she loved it. On the other, it was ugly, ugly, (laughs) ugly. For my dear dear loving daughter, who still wanted dad to get a big one, you know. It's terrible. But, see, we were together. And as dads were calling our children together with us into that life, and ultimately into the life of faith we have, So, you know, the Deuteronomy 6 passage, we're talking to them. That's going together when we sit down and when we rise up. 
but we're sharing our life with them. We're taking that next generation by the hand and we're leading them with us through life so that they get it. How do we go, children? Well, we go together. And I love that. I think fathering is among the most exciting, the most fun, certainly most challenging. It's the best thing. It's all that I aspire to, to be a husband and a father. And you know, if we could do it again, we'd start right over. And we'd do it again. And now it's fun to see another generation, Adrian and her family, raising little ones. You know, they're doing the same thing, you know. Annalise, you know, holding by the hand. You walk down the street. How do we go? Well, we go together. And I love that as an analogy. That's something my dad left me. And I hope you have some memories like that, that your dad has left you too. But remember, last thing, um, your fathering today, deficient or good as it is, ultimately we entrust those kids into God's good care. We're doing our best job, right? And we're blowing it. And we entrust their care ultimately into God's hands. And when we look at our own parents, guys, if you had the worst father on the earth, and I mean this in all seriousness, thank God. Because God put you in the family and you've come from the line he intended. And he promises to use every element of your life in a way ultimately that glorifies him and blesses you. And if the only thing you take away from an earthly father is, when I see those negative traits in me, it reminds me that I'm going to be ultimately like my heavenly father. That's enough. And you thank God for that earthly father. Father, we love you and we thank you that at the cost of your only begotten, you've made us your children. Father, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you today and doesn't know the sublime reality, the bliss, Lord, of knowing you as our dad, the one who loves us and saves us and holds us by the hand and takes us all the way home. Lord, would you bring those folks, adopt them into your family today. Help them to cry out to you, Abba, Father. And Father, would you help us to love each other in a way that nourishes each other's souls, in a way that helps us see you more fully and more clearly. And we thank you for being the loving loving Father you are, and for giving us that salvation, that adoption, that new life through your Son, the Lord Jesus. We worship you now in his name. Amen.